What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in or this is uh, the first one you're hearing, our goal here is simple. That's to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fire ground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little bit smarter, more effective and more efficient. Our guest today, uh, and I'm psyched to have him, is John Kwan from Tacoma Fire. Um, and we're, we're fortunate enough to hear his powerful story. Uh, so hopefully we can all learn from his experience. How are you doing today, John? Great, Nick. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you coming on here and, and uh, helping to spread the cure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself to, on the front end of this, kind of your journey to, to get to where we're at right now? Sure. Um, just kind of a abbreviated version. I got started in fire service back in 2001, uh, volunteered in my hometown in California, and then uh, worked on an ambulance, went to a fire academy, um, became a reserve firefighter, and then uh, kind of hit a wall, didn't really uh, do so well testing. So took a took a journey, took a break, and then uh, I finally grew up and got married and uh, came back to something I loved, which was firefighting. And I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, get picked up as a career firefighter um, in Tacoma back in 2014. So I've been there for eight years now. Um, I'm assigned to ladder one C shift as the tiller. Um, and I've been, I've just kind of had a, a charmed career. You know, I've been really fortunate to have some good mentors that gave me opportunities. So I, I get to help out a little bit at our academy on the forcible entry side of things and do a little bit of teaching um, outside of my department too. Okay. And how about uh, Tacoma Fire? I know we're all familiar with the TV show, but can you give us like a 30,000 foot view of your department? How big is it? What kind of area do you serve? Sure, sure. So um, Tacoma Fire, uh, it's an old department. Uh, it got started in 1880. And then uh, after the Great Seattle Fire in 1889, we we're actually the first department in the state to go paid. So that's kind of cool. And take a little bit of pride in the fact that Seattle called us for help when they needed it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we've got uh, 440 uh, commission personnel, um, 16 stations, 16 engines, uh, four trucks, five medic units, two aid units, which are um, BLS transport. Um, and then uh let's see, a safety lieutenant and kind of an EMS supervisor. Um, fairly busy, at least feels like that the way to me. Um, as a department, we ran 53,000 calls in 2021 and uh, 332 working structure fires. Um, city's, city's growing a lot in the last few years. So um, we provide service to, to the city itself and then uh, Fircrest and Fife, which are kind of neighboring smaller cities. Um, so our population is 220,000 in Tacoma, and then we get an extra 20,000 or so from, from those areas. Um, but yeah, we've got, we've got rail running right through the city. We've got uh, Interstate 5 and two state highways running through. So um, Kind of a kind of a cool place to work. A lot of a lot of real old construction, a uh, lot of new construction. So, basically anything from a Victorian to a ranch split level. Um, a lot of variety in the city as a whole. Okay, and then to kind of paint this picture operationally, what do you guys send on a first alarm to a single family, 
And then since we're going to be talking about the multifamily dwelling uh, where you had a rescue, the, a multifamily. Sure. If there's sure. a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a uh, single family is going to get four engines, uh, two ladders, a safety lieutenant, uh, two BCs. Um, just recently, we started adding two medic units. Um, and I think that is it. Yeah. And then for a commercial, uh, you're going to get five engines, uh, two ladders, safety lieutenant, two BCs, two medic units. Um, and then we we staff uh, on the engines and trucks. Uh, three is the minimum. So 79 line personnel every day. Um, and then we do have a fourth assigned to the truck, but it's very rare. We get to keep them. Uh, I'm sure like a lot of other places, you know, staffing is an issue. So it used to be like once a month, every other month. And now I, I couldn't tell you the last time we had four on the truck. Okay. And when you said commercial, is that the same? Is that analogous to a multifamily as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So our, our commercial assignment would be the same uh, as a multifamily dwelling. Okay, perfect. Um, and then I don't know if this is spelled out in your SOGs or if you have a playbook or a TAC ops manual or anything like that, but who is typically responsible for the search within your department? So <clears throat> historically, um, the medic unit has been assigned search, um, but I've, I've, I've also seen it uh, I've seen engines be assigned search and then we've been assigned search on the truck too, but um, by and large, what you would see would be the medic unit getting assigned search um, with the two medics, uh, but kind of incident driven and every battalion has their own flavor, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can you kind of paint this picture? Can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that you made? And I'm going to prompt you a little bit on the front end here, but do you know what time of year it was? Uh, what time of day it was? What was it dispatched as in your reports of victims? What rig were you on and, and kind of the like? Perfect. Uh, yeah. So funny enough, I was, I don't know if you do this, but I, I take notes on all the fires I go to just to, there's usually a laundry list of things I've done wrong. So I was looking back through my phone preparing for this and it was actually a year ago yesterday. Uh, so May 17th of last year. Um, and then the, uh, the fire came out at 2351 was the initial dispatch. Um, so we got dispatched to a six story brick uh, apartment building. It's a U-shaped building, center hallway. Um, probably 1930s-ish era. Uh, and it's a building that we're, we're pretty familiar with. Um, both the engine and the truck out of station one run a lot of uh, aid calls there. And we've, we've been there for box alarms. So it's, it's a building that we're familiar with. Um, so this came in as a, uh, a fire at an apartment building. Um, there was no reports of victims. Um, and on our arrival, um, we saw nothing from the three sides that we could see. Um, do you have another prompt for me or should I just keep? No, keep going, baby. Okay. Okay. So, um, we pull up and what, what was kind of cool is that, uh, you know, we've talked about this building before with the engine. So, um, the, the address side, uh, isn't actually the best place, uh, to make access, um, for an engine company. So they actually pulled over to what would be technically the Delta side, if you're, if you're calling it and, and left us, uh, that, uh, Alpha Delta corner so that if we needed to, we could have gotten the stick up 
And then it just made everything easier because if you take that uh, delta side entrance, it dumps you right into the stairwell and it's a much straighter shot as opposed to if you went in uh, the address, the true A side front door of this building, it, it'd be a much more uh, convoluted path. Um, so uh, as we uh, arrive, um, we're getting out and I was driving uh, the tiller that day. So I had to run back and get my pack out of the compartment. And as I'm pulling my pack out, there's kind of a large crowd of people, but no alarm sounding, nothing like that. And someone out of the crowd goes, hey, uh, I just came from the far side of the building. Like there's smoke coming out of a window on the sixth story there. Um, so I get my pack and I relay that information to my lieutenant and the engine lieutenant. And, uh, and then even though uh, technically for us, um, we count a high rise as seven stories and above, um, six stories, we treated it like a high rise. So um, our plan for that is uh, I've got the irons, the tiller has the can and the officer has a, a hook and, uh, and a halligan. And basically our plan uh, in that situation is to go up with the engine to the fire floor and we're gonna try and um, find the fire apartment, uh, effect a search if we can and uh, confine the fire and then help the engine get the line in place. Um, so we uh, boogie up the stairs with engine one and uh, it's, a, it's a tight stairwell. Um, and we get up to the sixth floor and basically it dumps us off on the base of that U, if you will. And excuse me, there's uh, no smoke that we see. Um, but as we walk down the hall and make a right turn to go up that leg of the U, uh, we're met with light smoke, probably shoulderish height, um, no heat. Um, so the engine, uh, their plan was to do a, uh, a uh, portable standpipe. So they're getting set up for that. And me and the tiller uh, mask up, mask up with our gloves on, something we practice. We're pretty, pretty efficient with that and make our way down the hall. Um, we're able to identify the, uh, the fire apartment, um, bunch of, bunch of gray smoke pushing out. Um, so I checked the door and it was unlocked, which was, which was kind of disappointing because I was one of the door if I can. <laughs> But um, so door opens up and I've got uh, smoke all the way to the floor, um, maybe a foot of visibility if that, not, no heat, not angry black smoke or anything like that, but um, just kind of a gray smoke. And you could tell there was a light on in the apartment because there's just kind of that, that glare in the smoke and it just makes it difficult to see. So um, I do my live fire layout, get my sweep, um, don't find anything. And, uh, and then I did uh, my call out. So I yelled out fire department. And what was funny is the uh, a couple of shifts before we had a, another apartment fire and I had been the first one in the door and, and I didn't do the call out. And so I was kind of beating myself up over the couple of weeks leading up to this. So I do my call out this time. And, um, you know, like I, I teach this stuff and I preach expect fire, expect victims. We've got the sticker on the inside of our bay doors. It's the last thing we see as we go out in the world. So just kind of give us that mental cue. And uh, in, and still to my utter shock and amazement, I, I hear a voice out of the smoke say, um, yeah, I'm over here. And I'm like, okay, all right. So um, I start moving in and I'm, I'm calling out to him like, 
hey, come to the sound of my voice. And I want to say, um, so as you, the way these apartments are laid out, as, as you go in through the front door, you'll have a bathroom on your right side, and then you'll have kind of a, a living room area to your left, and then a bedroom, and then a little bit further to the right, you kind of wrap around and there's the kitchen area. Um, so I moved uh, past the bathroom, and, and I just about ran into this dude, um, and I get to him, and he's, he's standing upright in the smoke, and um, I can see the fire now. It's, it's kind of running up this wall and, and kind of starting to lick over his head. And he, he has an extinguisher in his hands uh, with the top kind of broken off. And I, at first I thought his face was burned because there was kind of gray and weird stuff all over his face. And then I realized like he's trying to shake the contents of this fire extinguisher out onto this fire. And I'm like, hey man, uh, we need to go. And he's like, no, no, I, I think I can get it. And, <laughs> and I'm like, no, we need to go now. Uh, and he, he showed little to no interest in, in, in leaving the apartment. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I don't hesitate to even like talk about jujitsu cause I'm, I'm so bad at it. I'm kind of a, a lifelong white belt, but one of the things that I learned, uh, in this class, and it was a, kind of a drill we would do, you would, you would grab someone by the wrist and then grab behind their elbow with your other hand and you can pull them towards you really quickly and take their back. So um, I decided I went with that and it worked like a charm. It wasn't, wasn't a big fella. So I get his back and then uh, I just kind of gable grip around his waist and start pulling him back out of the apartment. And he's, he's fighting me like every step of the way. Like he did not want to leave that apartment. Um, and I think, uh, you know, you kind of hear about people being smoke drunk, but then when you actually see it, it, it makes so much sense. Like they're like a drunk person, you know? Uh, so we're fighting our way and, uh, and the thirds behind me kind of helping me and uh, I get him out, close the door. And I'm like, is there anybody else in there? He says, no, I live alone. Um, and about that time, uh, my officer was right there. So uh, passed the, uh, the victim off to him and then um, let him know this isn't a big fire. Like, I think we can get this with the can. So we're going to go back in and I'm going to finish the search. So, uh, we went back into the apartment and, uh, and she was able to knock the fire down with the can and I was able to finish searching the apartment. And then, uh, like right as we're finishing, we open the door and the engine's like right there at the door with their hose. And they, I mean, they made a beautiful stretch and everything. I'm just like, sorry, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Stole your thunder guys. <laughs> rare but pretty sweet so so that was thank you for telling that story i think that's a there's a lot to to kind of parse out of there but before we go backwards i want to go forwards what was the end result of this guy did he spend some time in the hospital did he have any uh smoke inhalation do we know he, he got he got evaluated by the medics and to my knowledge uh he opted out of, of uh going to the hospital he AMA'd and then I'm not sure um, what else happened because there was some uh, some rumblings that you know it seemed like he may have been a little off and he may have had something to do with the fire starting in the first place, but I don't really know much about the resolution there. Okay, so now we're back at the point where you you find this guy mm -hmm. and you're realizing that he should not be standing in this condition and needs to get out of there, uh, obviously. So how long does it take you to 
to then like get physical with this guy to be like, I'm bringing you out right now. Cause you're not listening to me. Was that five seconds or 10 seconds or half a second? How long did that take for you to be like, no, I need to get you out of here right now. It was quick. Like as basically I, I offered it to him once he didn't take it. And then, and then I was putting hands on just because the way the environment was and the read I was getting off of him, I was like, he's not going to be cooperative. So we just need to go. Um, so yeah, I, I would say it was, it was pretty quick, a couple seconds. And how big was this dude? Not a big dude. Um, maybe like 160. I mean, pretty much everybody's taller than me. So I don't know how tall he was, but not, not a super tall, not a super big dude. Um, a little, okay. bit, a little bit older. Uh, okay. So about your size, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and I asked this to, to a lot of people, but this one is, is a little bit different since, since he was smoke drunk and, and not mentating appropriately, but you're obviously pretty darn fit. How important was it to be in good shape for this operation? And if you were not in the shape you were in, would this have gone or could this have gone differently? Oh, um, there, there's not a doubt in my mind that the fitness played a role um, in it. Um, because like, like I said, you know, we, we had to climb uh, six stories to get up to them. And uh, looking at the times, um, we went on scene at 2354. Um, which was three minutes after the initial dispatch. And then uh, the radio transmission from my officer that uh, he had the victim and was bringing him down was at 2358. So four minutes oh, wow. from one scene to a, to a radio transmission. So we're, we're booking it up the stairs and then basically getting in a, a little tussle at the top. So um, yeah, it, it definitely paid off. I mean, I, I, I try my best to, to stay fit and I, I've, I've seen the benefits of it and on the job. So there, yeah, that, there's not a doubt in my mind that it wouldn't have, it would have, wouldn't have gone as well as it did if we hadn't been in the shape that we were to make that climb and go to work. That's an impressive uh, timestamp there. So you're saying four minutes from arrival on scene to get to the four, excuse me, sixth floor, make the apartment, start your search realize that this victim's not mentating appropriately, bring them outside and hand them off. That was all in four minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I got on the uh, broadcastify and that's, that's what the times timestamps look like. So yeah, it was, kudos to you guys. That's, that's damn impressive. Uh, as you were talking, like it wasn't very far in the apartment. So, you know, <laughs> John Quan, uh, perfect John Quan being as humble as possible. Um, but uh, I had some, I uh, lost it. Um, oh, enclosed stairwell or open stairwell? Uh, enclosed. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's there were no height. reports. Height one. You're like, even for me, it's, it's a narrow one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So no reports of victims uh, en route or on scene. Would anything have changed in your operation if en route, uh, comm center would have told you or dispatch would have told you, Hey, we have reports of victims on the sixth floor. Would that have changed any of your actions or, or movements there? I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, it, it's, it's always a moving target, but I try to operate, um, with that expectation of victims every time. And that mm -hmm. way, whether, whether they say there are victims or whether they say they're not, um, I'm going to hopefully be in, in that, in the pocket, you know what I mean? That there's not going to be an emotional shift one way or the other. Um, so that hopefully I can just be operating as calmly as I can. And like I said, 
hundred percent a moving target. Like I'm not going to tell you that hearing there's victims isn't going to raise my pulse a little bit, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing my best mentally to, to tell myself that's, that's the expectation. Like day in and day out, like I'm, I'm telling myself like going to go to a fire and there's going to be victims at the fire. So. And if I remember correctly from our previous discussions, this was just like two blocks away from your firehouse. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It's, it's super close. Um, yeah. Two blocks just about. Okay. And are so there any lessons? Think you're just, you're there quick and you're going to work. Right. Sometimes those are the hardest when it's just right across the street or, or a block away. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to kind of mentally prepare in that rig. No. Uh-uh. What's one lesson from this fire that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Um, I think, uh, one thing is just um, hopefully staying disciplined uh, and doing doing the the right thing and the stuff that you train on every time. So that life fire layout, um, a lot of times in training, like toward the end of towards the end of the day, you'll start to see people get kind of complacent and like stop doing the call out or just kind of like half half sweep um, or do the call out while they're doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're not really listening and um one thing that i'm constantly trying to get better at is being super disciplined and doing it exactly the same way every time and then when i do do the call i'm not doing anything else right because i want to i want to hear as much as i can and fortunately for us you know we're up on a sixth floor but there's still background noise right and then on a on a single family residential even more background noise. So taking the time to take a deep breath, hold it and listen. I think, I think that really paid off. Um, and it's something that I practiced however many thousands of times, and it's, it's still going to, to jar you a little bit when you hear that voice out of the smoke, <laughs> especially when it's calm, like I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, we're here. Why wouldn't I be? Uh, has this fire changed your mindset towards the job or how you train or even how you search? I wouldn't say that it's changed my mindset. If anything, it's, it's reinforced the things that, um, that I've been fortunate enough to learn from other people and just kind of um, solidified some of my beliefs about uh, the importance of uh, search and the importance of expecting fire and expecting victims and, and, and just how, um, how important every, every second is on the fire ground. So like, I, I like to tell people like I sweat the small stuff, right? Like every little, um, rig to door action really makes a big difference. Um, and that, you know, that's been backed up by all the great work you guys have done with firefighter rescue survey, right? Is that, um, if we're, if we're pulling those victims out, um, in under six minutes, then the, the chances of survival or what is, is it like 70 something percent right i mean it's up there right so yeah basically um without hitting all the numbers exactly um we just we know without a question of a doubt that that the time matters so anything i can do to reduce that time um is, is important right the, the the stakes couldn't be higher um and so yeah being being in shape enough to be able to climb a bunch of stairs, carrying equipment and, and go to work quickly, um, spending the time working on my mask ups and trying to get those 
under 10 seconds. Um, it, it all matters. And then, you know, if you're, if you're fortunate enough, like you get an opportunity to put it into practice and, and do what, what we said we wanted to do when we took this job. That was beautiful. Anything else before we close up that you want to pass along to, to anyone listening? Oh man, I'm trying to think here. Uh, well, yeah. Um, expect, expect, or have a, have some sort of a plan, or maybe you can incorporate this into your training of having the uncooperative victim. Right. I mean, I think most folks have either heard a story or experienced a story where someone runs back in the house or, um, I, I know I saw that Stockton video where they're VSing and they're trying to coax this woman out of her apartment. She yeah. didn't even know there was a fire. And so the, the uncooperative victim, I think maybe doesn't get enough play uh, in training. Uh, so they're, they're not all going to be uh, passive and supine. And so have, have, have a plan and be ready to put hands on somebody um, and, and make it happen. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful point right there. Maybe take some BJJ classes too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing your experience with us. We really appreciate your time and your authenticity. For everyone listening, if you or anyone else you know makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey. That's one survey per rescue so we can all get smarter, better, and faster. And if you make a grab and you want to share your experience with all of our listeners, please reach out to either Grant Schwalbe Justin McWilliams or myself, Nick Ladine, and we'll try to record an episode. Lastly, thank you to everyone listening and take care.